Oh, the gift that keeps on giving. Herpes. When Obi Wan fought. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bubblies, and welcome to my streaming bubble. It's that podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today Laura's joining me on a lush and lavish vacation to the beautifully scenic Sicily as we talk about the swanky, the bougie, and deadly White Lotus Season 2. Hi, Laura! Hi! Welcome back. It's been a minute. It has. God, what was our last episode? I don't fucking know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I you cricket noises, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been especially just you and I, right? Because yeah. we've done we've done our group com, uh, recordings and stuff, which is always a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And um, so, as some of you may know, Laura is part of the Cage crew, whether she likes it or not, and has been a part of two Nicolas Cage episodes, which whether she likes it or not. No, I've been rehabilitated to a degree. Like I, I do appreciate some Cage films and. Most recently, you know, the uh, unbearable weight of massive talent was just super fun to watch. That is, that's just a really fun movie. And I love that we compared that Like <laughs> in the one episode. It's that one and then Prisoners of the Ghostland because that movie is visually loud, as we said. And I just, I, I think that is the perfect phrase for that movie. But we're not here to talk about things we've already talked about, even though we just got done talking about things we've already talked about. But So we are here to talk about season two of White Lotus. As plenty know, this stars Jennifer Coolidge, Michael Imperioli, Aubrey Plaza, and that's just the tip of the cocktail. It's an HBO original series, and season one is available to check out through your local library, but not season two yet since that just ended. So you could probably still go put it on your holds list or request it that your local library carry it because you need to see it if you haven't already seen it. Yes. All right, so this is your spoiler warning slash brief synopsis uh, for season two. And I take what IMDb says and then read that and then I share my synopsis. So since IMDb only has really a synopsis for the entire series, uh, this is what they have for season two, episode one. Two couples navigate awkwardness. An Italian-American family deals with a conspicuous conspicuous absence and tanya arrives with her new assistant what i says is who's shit in the suitcase this year (laughs) that was a defining moment of television it really was and it's my new favorite phrase to be used as i see fit (laughs) yeah is it like in place of you know shit in the bed kind of expression or is it its own thing it's kind of its own it's kind of its own thing. It's like a big major twist, you know, of, you know, that's a great, amazing major twist, but definitely something you didn't see coming and something you definitely didn't expect to get the entire shot of. <laughs> uh, right. I, you know, when I think about that moment, you literally from the first season and the equivalent moment in the second season, I'm like, you know what this is? It's like, the pinnacle demonstration of that person's personality. Yes. To their detriment. Yes. Absolutely. Detriment via excrement. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love poop jokes. They're not my favorite, but they're a solid number two. I will never stop telling that joke, by the way. <laughs> There's your spoiler warning right there. There you go. <laughs> All right. So we'll go ahead and just, just plop right into the discussion. So, Laura, what are your general thoughts on this season? Um, you know, I wasn't certain what to expect coming into this one. Like if it was going to be more of the same as last season. And to some degree it was, I mean, luxury vacation and all that. But like the theme of what was going on with these people was different. And I really enjoyed it because, you know, it may, it took what worked from the last season and added something new to it. And whatever the formula is, it totally worked because I enjoyed this one as much as the first season. Really? Nice. Yeah, I really enjoyed this season. It's hard not to, for me, it was kind of hard not to compare this season to the first season. Um, but this one is still like, I think I, I think I, I like season one a little bit more just because it was new. It was fresh, different idea, different take, different ending, shit in the suitcase, all of that, things I wasn't expecting. Yeah. So I felt like going into this, into the second season, I didn't know what to expect, but I felt like there were some things I could expect. So there wasn't a full element of surprise uh, when it came to the shit in the suitcase moment. Because <laughs> it's like I started and I'm like, all right, you know, episode starts just like season one. We meet some of the guests on like their last day and then there's a body and then it's figuring out who it was mm -hmm. right throughout the rest yeah. of the, the, the season. So. So I knew I knew at least that kind of bit and then trying to guess like, OK, who was it going to be? Who is it going to be? And then I felt like as the season progressed, we get about the halfway point and you can kind of tell you can kind of start figuring it out. So it yeah. wasn't a huge shocker for me, but it's entertaining as fuck. I just finished my rewatch the other day and I laughed so fucking hard during that last episode. But I really enjoyed the season. Mike White really knows how to write rich white people <laughs> rich white people cringe yeah yeah it's like cringe core meets satire yes I, I love it and but also like i don't know the topics the topics vary like from an emotional perspective too so for me this season like i felt like it was a little more relatable than the first season because the first season was rich white people being completely out of touch and exploit exploited exploitive. Mm, I don't know how do sure. you say that word. Whatever that works. <laughs> that works. Uh, because um, that that was kind of the that was kind of the scene um, that was being painted. You know, within the individual characters, their their families or groups or whatever, mm -hmm. and then the overarching theme of the location. Whereas here, it, it seemed like it was way more personal. Mm -hmm. So that's I think that's why I enjoyed it as, as much as the first season. Even though the first season was more surprising uh, <laughs> and just like erratic, um, mm -hmm. this, this season hit differently and I enjoy the variety, I guess. I agree. And, you know, when we did our when we did our episode on season one, you know, we kind of talked about a little bit how 
it was only supposed to be the one season. It was only supposed to be a limited run. Yeah. But it did really well and everyone loved it. So it got renewed for a second season. And, you know, we were kind of, you know, like, what? Yeah. It's like, what are they going to do? How is it going to be different? Or, you know, like just kind of talking about how, what? And I got to say, they they nailed it with season two. And it's still very much like a white, you know, it's got that White Lotus series vibe to it. Mm-hmm. new characters new problems but still the same like familiar in that sense with the series yeah. you know rich bougie motherfuckers and the um lack of accountability and yeah but like you said a lot more personal issues within the different guests so yeah this was a great season i really liked it it's it's fun to watch it's great to watch as a rewatch very rewatchable Mm-hmm. I guess depending on how well you handle cringe satire. <laughs> Apparently we love it, so. Well, I feel like the first watch through is like where you're just processing all of the emotions you're having. And then the second watch through is like pure entertainment because mm-hmm. you know what's coming and you're just like really funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but before we like talk about what we liked about like the characters and everything, I just want to take a quick second to talk about the intro song <gasps> yes i'm sorry. sorry but did it did it sound to you like someone was doing this like did they seriously record that like in all could you imagine how like professionally and seriously <laughs> they're recording this in the booth <laughs> like i'm a, you know do you, like this is sophisticated television <laughs> okay uh-huh. ready go <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love that intro. And I think it really, I think the intro for this season perfectly kind of captures maybe the series as a whole, where it starts out and it's like, it seems fine, benign enough, you know, but the music picks up and then the imagery picks up and then you're like, wait, what the fuck is happening here? (laughs) And And you're like, how is making that kind of music with your hand to your mouth so stressful? Because this is making me feel really stressed. (laughs) See, and I thought, yeah, it was either kind of like the hand against the mouth, either that or just like with the, (laughs) just with the tongue, like a... (laughs) (laughs) That felt weird to do. Um, But, and this was like an intro I, I rarely skipped. Because I'm just looking at the images and I'm listening to the song. And it's like, at first the song, I was kind of like, what the fuck is this? This is weird. But it's also very catchy and it gets, it's an earworm. And I think it gets into it your is. head. The, so... number, the number of times I woke up this week with that song stuck in my, that melody and the going through my head. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening to my brain? <laughs> right. But I had to start skipping it. Do you know Why? <laughs> Because I would wait until the kids were in bed to watch the show for obvious reasons, right? Obvious reasons. And it's not like the volume was up super loud or like the bedrooms are near the living room or anything. But the song would start playing and Felix would come out and be like, what is that noise? It's creeping me out. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Like, oh, you're supposed to be in bed. Okay, no more intro. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up the intro because it's, I loved it. And like I said, at first I was like, this is weird. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, But it just, there's something very captivating about it. And I think that speaks to the series as a whole. And it it really worked, especially with this season. 
everyone's fucking somebody. <laughs> yeah, people getting blowies down by the beach and. <laughs> yep. All right. So we'll go ahead and get started with our various talking points. And Laura, what would you like to start with? What's something that you have just been dying to get off your chest since we've decided to do this episode? Oh, there's so there's so much. I'm not I'm not sure like where we should start with that. Um, but generally, I think you touched on it that the theme of this season was sex and, you know, as a secondary, I guess, romance. And boy, did it touch on a lot of like modern topics, you know, in that whole relationship space, mm-hmm. in, including some real social problems that we have right now. And I don't know, maybe you'll be surprised, like the couple dynamic for lack of a better term, or like the personal dynamic that got under my skin the most mm-hmm. was Albie. Yes, I knew you. I had a feeling you were going to start with Albie because when season two originally started, you're like, I'm I'm watching it. Like you you jumped on board right away. And the little bit of messaging we did back and forth, I remember that was like the first person you talked about that you were like, Ugh. so I was like, oh, he just said he's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do the nice guy trope. And it was so <laughs> worse because like. <laughs> It's got to be one of the most divisive conversational topics I've seen on the internet after watching the show. Because some people are like, oh, he's so sweet and innocent and naive. And I'm like, no, he fucking isn't. He is not a feminist. He's pretending to be one. Mm -hmm. He's awful. He just doesn't see that about himself yet. Yep. Like, oh, I hated everything that he said. I'm like, you pretentious little shit. You're just as bad <laughs> as your father and your grandfather. At least your grandfather has a sense of humor about it. That man was funny. I really enjoyed the, I have to say, like, the, that family, I didn't, like, Albie and his dad and the grandfather, like, I didn't care a whole hell of a lot about their plot line. No. But I loved the conversations. I yes. loved some of the lines that were given to the grandfather because, like one of the lines that he had was something about like um we're or they they used to respect the old now we're just reminders of an offensive past i loved it i loved it i was like yes yes it's he true. was right <laughs> he was right it, yeah. i mean it's it's both true but it's also commentary on you know the generational gap there because i feel like the implication with especially with albie's approach to it all was like his generation knows better so they're not going to have that despicable past and i'm like dude you are sewing it right now <laughs> get mm-hmm. off your high horse mm-hmm. like oh i i hate it and the entitledness that he had she should like me because i'm a nice guy and mm-hmm. i'm being very nice to her <laughs> You know, at first, at first I did like Albie. I thought he was, I, just like everyone else, I thought he was adorable and he was very sweet and kind. But then it's like, he drops a line about he's the peacemaker of the family. I was like, ugh. And, oh, I think when they were talking about like the Godfather, so they're at the, 
yeah. place in Sicily where the one scene of the Godfather. And I liked how they kind of threw clips of that movie in. So yeah, it was nice. It was nice. It was, it was fun. Um, but the way Albie talks about the Godfather movies, like he's not necessarily wrong, but there was just something really off-putting and cringy about him. Like it felt like he was showing off for Portia, right? Like he was like, he didn't fully believe everything that he was saying, but he knew (laughs) the right, the right words, the right phrases and like just taking these snippets almost, you know, forming an an unoriginal thought and then spewing it out that's the culmination of his stanford education apparently (laughs) apparently yep and then the grandfather's like oh and he comes back brainwashed (laughs) yeah and i love that comment too because it's also a comment on that That generation that generation viewing the younger generation as quote woke educated um just a a broader world view of things social view which is accurate because i think we are Mm -hmm. but i also think that he has a point like you know if you're not really living it like you just you're just coming back and parroting something else for the sake of your own personal gain are you really doing anything different Mm -hmm. so like i don't know there's a lot of disingenuineness around that whole thing Mm-hmm. I just thought it was really well played out because you could be like, well, he has a point, but he has a point, but at least he's being genuine. He's not. I don't know. I don't know how to feel right now. Exactly. But I think the the grandfather did a really awesome job in in terms of of kind of allowing you to see both sides of, mm-hmm. of that perspective, even though, like, personally, um, if if the things Albie were saying were genuine, I would have been more on his side of the fence. Mm-hmm. Um, but not without empathy towards, you know, everyone else's. But he wasn't being genuine, and I could feel that. And kudos to the actor for whatever subtleties in his portrayal that, you know, made him on the surface believable, but at the same time, you're like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. what what is going on here? Mm-hmm. And then like he's got this whole savior complex too yes and i'm just like oh when he said that he's attracted to broken birds or yep i was like have you been watching too many disney movies like (laughs) what (laughs) what the where the hell do you get that analogy from like i was thinking like (laughs) all the birds coming to see snow white but like it goes grim fairy tale and the birds are like <laughs> broken wing or and i'm just like oh i can't i like this is how i see you now and that was like the moment where i was like yep i am done with you yeah that line was very off-putting as well but i guess on one hand it's like at least he's able to kind of admit that he's it's oh yes a human where... in that sense <laughs> yeah but this is where like honesty and authenticity don't meet mm-hmm. right you know like maybe that was his one authentic moment but maybe. only only on the surface again like it doesn't explain why like what is it about him that draws him to these broken birds uh, I, he needs to be a hero my theory is that watching his father treat his mother like shit 
has got to play some kind of role in it and then also being the peacemaker. So because of his role in his immediate family, I feel like has an effect on his type of partner, the type of women that he's attracted to. He's sympathetic to his mom and his sister, but he's also sympathetic towards his dad. All he knows is how to fix things and put people back together. And he must equate that, his relation, that he does that for his mom and his sister as a way to take care and care for someone. Yeah, and, and I get that. I don't disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But I think he takes it too far because I oh, feel sure. like he needs that sense of self-importance, that hero complex, like, yep. I am the best man here. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, if you have to say that, you're not. Exactly. <laughs> like, look at me. I'm better than my father. And then his father at the same time is also like, I'm a feminist. I've promoted women. And it's like, oh, that was such a gross and his father was sleazy oh my god just fucking greasy as fuck chicken butt i started to feel i started to feel more compassion for the father as he kind of came to his senses and everything over the course of his time at the white lotus really and yeah so like that's surprising as my distaste grew for alby i (laughs) I was also feeling this compassion for his father. Like the dude's an asshole and he made this mistake, but oh my God, I think he actually cares now. And, you know, I don't think he's going to change who he is, but at least he cares about it. Cause initially I don't think he did like when he first arrived mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe that sense of caring is, is like the start of him being a better person maybe not but at least he cares now (laughs) see and i just didn't get any of that from uh from the father uh dominic is the character's name played by michael imperioli sorry didn't practice that one ravioli i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but i just felt like you know especially when we get to the point where albie's like i want you to give me this money it's a drop in the bucket for you so i can save uh uh, that whole interaction yeah (laughs) and that it's his karmic payment and it's like earlier in the season he says something to his dad about um that he like buys people or something let's see i i I was i'm sure i wrote it down i mean that that fits but then he's making his dad do it again exactly for his benefit like Albie. Yes. Also, Albie tells his dad that he can't buy people off, but then allows his dad to buy him off. No, not allows him. Or, like, like encourages, blackmails, like, he... Yeah, it's more of an imperative. Do this or else. Exactly. And he's like... And and the fact... And what what he's wagering on is that, like... You do this for me. You give me this money so I can, quote, save Lucia. And I'll put in a good word for mom, even though you don't really deserve it. But this is clearly what you want. Like, he's just being just as manipulative as the rest of as the rest of the men in his family that we've seen. Yeah. And that's the point. Like, okay, exactly. maybe, Maybe like. Maybe he cares a lot about his mom and tries to make peace and and save her or whatever. And that led to this complex. I don't know. But in that moment, he just 
he just sent his mom down the river without a paddle mm-hmm. like seriously exactly that was that was low everything that he said leading up to that point was a lie yeah. because he did that exactly so he's no better and then for the dad i don't think the dad i think for a little bit he really kind of thought because there was that chance of him actually losing his family like really losing his family and i think that was all starting to to set in and everything mm-hmm. but then he strikes that deal with uh, with Albie, and even though he says, like, this isn't why I did it, but if you get yes, a chance. Exactly. And Albie's like, I already talked to her for you. And it's just like, you are all garbage human beings. You are trash. You don't know how to fucking treat or respect the women in your life, even though you think you do. And so then I don't think anything is going to change in Dominic simply based off that last shot of... um. Dominic, Bert, and Albie at the airport, and the pretty girl walks by, and they all turn their heads. Yeah, that was such a, a clever little shot, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, like, man, going back to their conversations, though, the the grandfather had some one-liners, really. I, I really, I loved Bert. Like, as, as like, problematic it's a penis, as Bert not a Picasso. is, <laughs> it's a penis, not a sunset. He said, "Sunset." That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. I love that line. I laughed so he. He really had some of the best writing, I felt like, and some of the best conversation writing in this season, I felt like, happened between that DeGrasso family. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't think there would have been very much compelling about their storyline, except the whole satirical portrayal of the nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't oh, really, but yeah. I, I didn't really care about Bert trying to reconnect with his Italian roots and everything. It was kind of funny when they roll up on the house and they all, and the the women all yell at him. And the one old one is like, I curse your family. <laughs> I don't owe they already anything. Did that themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but it did kind of make me wonder, like, cause at first, first time watching it, I was like, okay, yeah, they don't know these people. They don't understand English. That's fine. Whatever. They're chasing them off their property. Totally makes sense. But on the rewatch, it almost seemed like something struck the old lady. Like, I think when, like, when Bert mentions the town that his mother or grandmother was from, uh-huh. that's when she's like, get out of here. I don't know you. We don't have any money. Go away. So I, I, I don't know. Maybe because, yeah, at first I was just like, yep, they don't, whatever. It's a failed attempt to reconnect. But maybe it says more about, because it did seem like there was a, something that she caught to and she's like no go away and then but we also have this house front of women chasing these dudes away right a little bit not what they're used to not their relationship with with the women that they've encountered um which i thought was very interesting as well but did you did you pick up on that that maybe the old sicilian lady knew something or caught on to something or am i making shit up I felt like there was just a general animosity and suspicion there, but I didn't read too much into it. Okay. Fair enough. But I liked that their little family reconnection trip turned out to be a dud. Yeah. Because, you know, it kind of it kind of played on the whole fact that they're all kind of self-important, right? Mm-hmm. And this took them down a peg. And Albie's so, like, I'm the best that he didn't think he could ever get played and then he gets played the way he did and i'm just like yeah you're a dumbass yeah he's a dummy oh yeah those 
those Degressos, they were something else, but. Yeah. yeah. And then because their name is Degrasso, I was like, Degrassi Jr. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> I think I kept calling them Degrassi. And I didn't watch that show. Um, I'd watch it in health class. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. I think, yeah. So one of my talking points was the generational chauvinism and the no accountability because throughout their conversations of the Degrassos, all you ever hear from these three dudes is that's just how we're hardwired. That's how it is. Taking no responsibility. I know. Achilles heel. Is there Achilles cock, which is another great line given to Bert. Thank you very much. <laughs> that made me laugh because, you know, I immediately pictured them getting shot with an arrow. <laughs> me too. <laughs> because that's how Achilles dies. He gets shot in his Achilles heel, yep. you know, tendon with an arrow. And I'm just like, and then I'm picturing because the mythology behind that mm-hmm. is, you know, Achilles' mom dips him in the river Styx as a baby to make him invulnerable, but she's holding him by that ankle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, uh, oh, uh, you <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think of that. And oh my lord, he sinks. Oh. <laughs> Mom. How's that for a baptism? Oh, <laughs> oh someone scrub it out of my brain space. <laughs> no, it's there forever. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> All right. Well, that seems like an Achilles cock seems like a nice segue into one of <laughs> one of my talking points, and that are and that's the couples. So we meet Daphne and Cam and Harper and Ben. And I find these four people kind of, I find I'm the most fascinated by Daphne. And by the end of the season, and by the end of the season, I'm most annoyed with Harper and Ben. (sighs) So let's go ahead and get start on these four people. What did you think of our couples? I mean, objectively, they're very attractive people, so good for them. Um, <laughs> Congrats on the genetic lottery. Right? <laughs> um, but but also, uh, when we first meet Daphne and Cam, and they're, like, talking about their, um, I don't know, kind of meaningless adventures and little lives and just like oh they're so vapid this is gonna suck mm-hmm. but then it turns out that they were so so interestingly complex underneath that and i just uh, i found their whole relationship dynamic as individuals but also when they were together so interesting like mm-hmm. that was the hook for me Oh, and like, I agree. Ben and Harper, I'm like, oh, they were like the ones you were rooting for, you know? Like, you guys are being idiots. I really hope you work this out because, you know, it seems like before we met them that they had a good relationship at one point, but it is lost right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Cam and Daphne were the hook for me for this season. Isn't that interesting? Like, I, I same same for me. I was the I am still the most fascinated and interested uh and captivated by Daphne and her whole outlook and 
the way we're introduced to her and what we see on the surface. But then when her and Harper stay the night at the Palazzo in Noto, we see we see a bit more. And I that's when I was just like, whoa, she isn't just an empty, vapid kind of a real housewife or anything like trophy that. wife trophy wife i was like damn i so yeah i completely agree those two were it and then harper and ben i was really kind of rooting for them you know and it's aubrey plaza so how do you not ever root for aubrey plaza oh right i mean so. i love her so <laughs> yeah exactly so i instantly saw them as quote the better couple or the one in the healthier, quote, healthier relationship. But as things unfold, did Cam and Daphne have the healthier relationship despite all the toxicity? I think uh, only because they have that, that understanding. That understanding is never explicitly stated, but it is heavily implied, again, individually Mm -hmm. and when they're together that they know that they play these games with each other and it's a part of their dynamic and it works for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, but they, there were parts where I was like, damn, I don't know. That might be too far. Right. Like, you know, Cam doing his thing where he's also like, I got to get with every woman that my, my dude here is interested in, including his wife. And, mm-hmm. and then Daphne, when she's like, you should get yourself a trainer. And she shows the kid and the kid is exactly exactly how the the trainer is described in terms of looks mm-hmm. and i'm just like oh uh-huh <laughs> that's too far that's too far but <laughs> damn way to pull that one off which explains kind of cam's hesitance to get on the phone with the kids on their last day which i took it initially as cam just kind of being an asshole and really maybe deep down isn't happy with his family life but when you bring that up it might be that, oh, no, I have to go and acknowledge that this kid that isn't mine is mine kind yeah. of thing. And being having to look at that physical reminder of what he and Daphne's relationship is. Right. And then I have a question for you. No. So I feel like their relationship was kind of a commentary on the whole subject of ethical non-monogamy. Like, was this ethical? Because it was definitely non-monogamous, but it's portrayed to be monogamous unless you know them better kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, because they're fine with it. Does that make it ethical? And it still shows that even if they do have this agreement and this understanding and whatever, and they've been through all this and it's just part of what they do, Daphne showed flashes of pain. Cam oh, yes. showed flashes of pain. Mm-hmm. But what? The the pain and the jealousy are... Okay, we still experience these emotions, but we deprioritize them? Like, I don't know. I started wondering... started wondering if they did, in fact, have a healthier relationship. Same. Yeah. Like, Despite not perfect. Everything. And right. not healthy, but healthier... <laughs> Than probably everyone else that was featured at that resort. Yes. And I find that very interesting. A little baffling. And then you bring up the question of whether or not their relationship is ethical. Because of how it's structured, I guess. It's, that's a really good fucking question. I'm going to say it 
even though they've managed, even though they have their coping me- mechanisms to get through their their pain, because that's one of the things I found really fascinating about the Daphne characters. Here she is very like bubbly, kind of maybe shallow. You know, they don't follow the news. They don't read. She doesn't know if she voted. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but then you see those flashes of pain and that sadness and you're like, oh, fuck. And then but she comes back. You know, it's almost like she tries to blink away the pain and comes back with just the do whatever you got to do so you don't feel like a victim of life, which I like and I can appreciate. But at the same time, the way that her and Cam have the extreme to which they've taken that, I don't know that that's truly the right way. Because if it was an ethical, open relationship, then there'd be no problems, right? Like they're both aware of it, but it's like this unwritten rule that they have that they don't speak about. They They have don't ask, don't tell going on. Exactly. And even though they found ways to make it okay for themselves, it's clearly not okay. And therefore I don't think it's for them an ethical, healthy situation, but they've made it work. And they do have this exterior of being very happy and in love and everything. And Harper is so intent on busting up this facade of this happy, healthy relationship where she's but like, But that's I because knew it. she didn't have it anymore. And also, she was like the antithesis of Daphne on the surface. Like, mm-hmm. Daphne on the surface was bubbly, vapid, you know, carefree, yep. whatever. She was the most pretentious person there. And very insecure. Yes. More insecure again than Daphne and Cam are. But they still have their insecurities. It's not that they're pretending or actually other ones. But like there's also moments between Daphne and Cam, or at least when they were talking about each other, where you could tell that they genuinely love each other. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like the one that stuck out to me was Cam talking about you know the circumstances around one of their kids births and oh, all yeah, the yeah. emergencies yeah. with the c-section and 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 you know going going through seeing all that and you, that's when you really realize how much you love a person mm-hmm. you know so i there like i said it's so complex and and interesting i just like i feel like they could have their own show I was just going to say, I would love to sit in in a whole dissection of just Cam and Daphne. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I I didn't, from the outset, when we first meet them, I didn't expect to feel that way about them by the end of the show. Right? Like, that was my biggest surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And considering the moments we haven't touched on yet, that's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I mean, if we're talking, if we compare kind of moments from the first season, there's the ass eating moment where you're just like, wait, what? Shit's going down. There was an ass eating moment as well in this one. I agree. But this one was less obvious, right? Like, (laughs) not even like literal, but it was just, in looking back and in talking about it, it, Daphne and Cam really kind of are like, in their own subtle way, the ass eating moment of of the season. Yeah, they are absolutely fascinating to me. Yes. And that I wasn't, I didn't expect it. And I didn't expect to feel how I feel about this couple. Right. And like, again, Ben and Harbor, you're you're rooting for. But at the same time, it's like, 
Okay. Now, I can see why Harper was feeling so insecure. Like, her and her husband are on opposing schedules. They're young. They're wealthy. They're attractive. They should be in the prime of their, you know, enjoyment of their sexual relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like two ships passing each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? And then, like, he comes back from his run and immediately, like, you know, dials up a porn video and starts cranking one out. And, I, and then <laughs> she comes in and I'm like, okay, this can transfer. This is fine. Like, right. a bit awkward, but this, but then he's like, nah, I'm not in the mood. And, yeah. you know, she took that personally. And I think mm-hmm. that led to all of her bad choices. Especially when she comes back from that little kidnapping of sorts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finds that condom wrapper in the couch. Now, mm-hmm. I got to give Ben props here uh, because he was high and obviously unfulfilled sexually as well. And he had the opportunity to do something about that with little to no inhibitions remaining. And he still put the kibosh on that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's really hard to do mm-hmm. when you're under the influence. So, you know, he obviously like demonstrated in that moment how much he cares about his relationship with his wife. So why couldn't they just talk to each other? And that's the like thing that- a real conversation, not a reactionary conversation, not a defending myself conversation, not a what about them conversation. Mm-hmm. Like the real genuine sit down. What the fuck? We've got to fix this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think bothered me the most about Harper and Ben was how the damage that had been done to their relationship in that second half of the season, you know, because they, they pride themselves on being a bit more educated, I guess, than uh, Daphne and Cam. They're always honest with each other. They don't play these games with each other. You know, <laughs> they do. Ben's never lied to her. And, you know, they're all, you know, that whole always honest thing. So the fact that she still struggled with accepting Ben's truth really shows a lot of her insecurities that I think we're kind of, you know, she's trying to mask throughout, but then they're really starting to shine through at this moment. Yeah. But it's like, if he's never given you any reason to not believe him, why now? And I didn't like that. It seemed like Cam and Daphne in a way got into both of their heads. They did. They were playing their games. They were. And it's like, they, so, so Ben and Harper see that Cam and Daphne play these games, but then also that they're very on the surface happy and they do love each other and all of that. And here they are kind of doing all the opposite of that. And yet they aren't happy. They're not, you know, they're not affectionate. They don't, you know, in public, they don't hold hands. I mean, hell, even when they're just like laying in bed at the end of the night, like they're both on their laptops or whatever, doing stuff like they're not having any kind of intimate emotional connection. And then in the next room, we see, uh, Cam and Daphne like romping in the bed, having a giggle, a good time. They're enjoying their vacation and everything. And so, you know, so at the beginning, it's almost like 
Ben and Harper are quote the better couple or have the healthier relationship. But as every like they're unfolds, the more genuine yeah. couple, and they're not, and they're not, and so we see that shift. And I thought that was so fucking interesting, and I really liked it. But at the same time, it drove me bananas that but, these two <clears> people <throat> all of a sudden didn't trust each other. Maybe not all of a sudden, but now they really are struggling with Harper's struggling with believing Ben. Ben's irritated because. He didn't do anything. He's being honest. She's not believing him. And then they eventually start playing games thing. with each other. I and know then they why. end up happy at the end, right? Like I know why she yeah. didn't believe him. Because he wasn't telling the full truth. You know, there was that bro code moment between right. Cam and Ben before they reunited with their wives. And he for some stupid reason adhered to it if he had just been completely honest about everything that happened i don't think she would have had those thoughts going on in her head and i also didn't like i i agree i agree with you and i also didn't like that when she found the condom wrapper instead of just confronting ben right away with it kept playing play game the, yeah so what really happened? What I'm sorry, Ben, but by the time she's asking you the second or third time, no, what really happened? Then you, you got to be. Come on. Yeah. You tell her what really happened. It's like he didn't necessarily lie, but he lied by omission. And it's still lying. And right. believe me, it can have just as big of an impact. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that playing out the way that it did because I've seen it. Mm-hmm. So. I, I know how much damage that can do. Like, I hate when people get caught up on the semantics of, well, he didn't lie because he didn't actually say anything. No, right. he still lied. Yes. And it's <laughs> it's still, it's a lie by omission. That's what it's fucking called. It's not that a, was, a half that truth. Was part of my problem when it, the shoe was on the other foot and it was Harper who was lying, you know, because he's still like, I haven't lied. Yes, you did. You just weren't mm-hmm. lying the same way, which you lied too. Right. And so like, as long as guy. he's not seeing it clearly, she's not seeing it clearly, they're not talking clearly. And it's just a snowball, like an avalanche effect mm-hmm. at this point. And that leads though to the biggest, like, what do you think happened question? Mm-hmm. Harper and Cam. I think that was too happened. long. Yeah. That was too not saying a lot happened in but enough. I it's it has to be more than kissing. Mm-hmm. Has to be. Oh, absolutely. And then Ben and, and Daphne, as she tries to show Ben, like, here, let's go take a look at this tiny. And I love how she's so cryptic cryptic about shit, right? I don't normally <laughs> that's not like a personality trait that I generally gravitate towards, but just something about the Daphne character that I don't know that I like her or I dislike her. She but has she that very playful smirk, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They fought. Daphne. Uh, I think they at least have, like, like she at least gave a blowy or something. A mouthy. I got to yeah. bring that back. Because <laughs> you don't blow, right? I don't want to call it a sucky because that just sounds stupid. Mouthy. Sure. Same yeah. way as like a hand job is a handy. <laughs> or a wristy. 
<laughs> I think, what do you think? Do you think, okay, so you, you do Again, agree that I think something, something happened. happened and I think they had more free time to really like let a lot happen. Mm-hmm. But I also think that um, Ben is a more rigid person in his loyalties. So I don't think that like they fully like fucked fucked, but I think like they pulled it you know, him. I think he drew the line where he thought Harper drew the line. Sure. And it and all of his fantasies I think I think oral is the way that it went. Yeah. Which kind of ties into one of the images in the opening credits. Like I said, someone getting a blowy down by, down on the beach. Yeah, and that that kind of ties into it too. I swear that was put like all those images were there on purpose, and Absolutely. just like the the statues in all the yeah. rooms. Yeah, and it's like it's about relationship discord, mm-hmm. and you're like, why would you put that in your guest room? <laughs> I love it too. And then I looked up the uh, the mythology or the lore of the statues, and the show gets it pretty. They they don't. <laughs> lying by omission they got a lot of they got the bulk of it right and i guess there's a secondary version um that i don't recall but uh in the in the version that they even tell in the series the way that ended was that um the woman used the man's head as a flower pot and then Uh the people of the town were like hey that's a really cool flower pot and so then they had a bunch of uh uh pots commissioned replicas made and so that's how Whatever, yeah. I thought it was really interesting. I thought that was really cool that they incorporated a little bit of that local lore. As you yeah, but then too, the and how the imagery of it. Series. Because yeah. when Ben and Harper finally just like have sex, uh-huh. they break, break that. Yep. And I'm like, oh, relationship discord gone. How yeah. nice for that. <laughs> so yeah, so by the end, they're affectionate towards each other. They're snuggling at the airport just like Cam and Daphne are. So do you think Ben and Harper are going to be better now? Do you think they're going to take a page out of the Daphne and Cam book and play little, like maybe not go to the extreme that Daphne and Cam no, would do, but even their incorporate their own more, little games? Even their snuggling was more socially acceptable. Uh, I think that they chose to learn the hard way what they were missing mm-hmm. as a couple and what they were individually doing wrong to contribute to that problem. But if they forget the lesson, they're going to end up right back where they were. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping, because there's something so endearing about those two. Like they seem like they're actually good people. Yeah. You know, I'm hoping that they've learned from this and that they have a healthier relationship and more importantly, better communication from this experience because Mm -hmm. miscommunication, however you want to put it, is huge consequences. Oh, absolutely. All right. Now, since we are still talking about, you know, since we just finished talking about the power couple with Cam and Ben seems like a nice little segue into Lucia and Mia, the sex workers, the locals mm-hmm. for this season. What did you think about these two? I enjoyed them. Like, for one, I don't share the same stigma around sex work that we 
saw some of the characters displaying in the show, but also that we generally seem to display as Americans because, like, I guess I have a different understanding of their potential place in society and whatnot. First of all, oldest profession ever, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, so for people in the disabled community, sex work is often where they get their first experiences in that realm of life because you know there's the whole less than human you can't experience sexual desire who would sexually desire you that kind of perspective Mm -hmm. so like I wasn't I had no animosity towards them Mm -hmm. you know they're obviously working with what they had to make something of their lives and good for them I found their interaction with the hotel manager to be super entertaining. Like mm-hmm. I, I just loved it. Like <laughs> the hotel manager ending up being someone who just needed some sexual relief was hilarious to me because I'm like, yep, that that's that's a trope. You just did a trope, but you did it in a way that was fun. So yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna allow that. Allow <laughs> yeah. the, and the whole the, the way they played the whole DeGrasso family generationally. Mm-hmm. was really interesting to me too and yeah if anyone came out ahead from the events that transpired it was them all right mm-hmm. thank you albie especially yeah no shit <laughs> dumbass what a good guy that albie was <laughs> i just gave you fifty thousand dollars of my father's money mm-hmm. also the look she just gave me when i said that good guy albie your face scrunched at me a bit <laughs> yeah i did it's involuntary i understand that was the reaction i was going for <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh i i enjoyed them though i i think like lucia's whole um storyline how she's playing the degrassos and you know playing and cam and cam not paying her like that was all classic sex worker stuff mm-hmm. um you know she's very good at what she does for sure i found mia more interesting like her motivations were not purely financial that was just mm-hmm. something she kind of got hooked into thanks to lucia but mm-hmm. she just wanted to sing yeah but she also seemed like the more genuinely compassionate person of the two because you know yeah. yes yes she tossed the the hotel manager a, a freebie in exchange for a chance to sing again but you know afterwards she's like you know you should really like find a real lesbian and we know where you can start exploring that mm-hmm. like she didn't have to do that right she already got what she wanted so yeah i found her to be i don't know like i said a more compassionate person her interaction with the piano player though i'm like oh did she try to kill him i think she tried to kill him like that was played off as I don't know which one's which, but but I don't know. That worked out a little too well for you. And you're yeah. not sorry about it at all. Uh-uh. You tried to you tried to kill him. See, I, I still think I still think Nia didn't know. I don't think it was an intention intentional, but I don't think she was gonna be sorry for it either. Had he if Giuseppe had actually died, just because he's a gross, lecherous, lying old man. He was gross. He was very fucking gross. And so and- yeah, yeah. I, I just, just I, I I she saw an opportunity and she took it. I don't think it was a manufactured moment in from her perspective, uh, but she definitely rolled with it. 
Fair enough. Yeah. And I got to admire that if that's the case. Like, you know, this was an accident, but oh, well, it worked out for me. That's pretty um, badass. But like, I am so confused by Giuseppe and (laughs) insert stereotypical sleazy guy Italian name here. But like, why was he propositioning her so much when he couldn't get it up? Why wouldn't he have been prepared with his own damn Viagra? That's just, I don't know. I just took that as like male ego and that always thinking they're hot shit kind of thing. And I don't know, maybe he hasn't fucked in a while, so he didn't know he couldn't get it up. (laughs) I don't know. But like one of the things I did learn about Mia from, you know, behind the scenes in the show, the actress that played her is I guess a significant songwriter Mm. um, for Italian songs Um, and that was her first like experience singing live so this wasn't like pre-recorded or edited or anything it was she sung live and I think um, one of the sisters from the trio uh, Haim Mm-hmm. was on set and I think like she brought Kesha with her as well oh. um, like I don't think they were intended to work for the series but it kind of worked out that way because they provided uh, the actress who played Mia like advice and and coaching and you know helped her prep for it so that, I thought that was a, like a really cool little tidbit too that's awesome yeah, I didn't know that. And I really liked Mia's singing voice that just really soft and kind of sweet and beautiful. It just and especially with the songs that she was singing worked perfectly. And for the atmosphere, you know, uh, mm-hmm. hotel bar lounge, it it worked really well. I was I was impressed with Mia's singing and cool to know that that was all done live and not uh, pre-recorded and edited in. So, yeah, with the. With Mia and Lucia, I will have to admit that the first time I watched it, I I wasn't really interested in whatever their storyline was going to be. I don't know why. I don't know if that was just because of how season one treated the locals. And so I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. They're going to get fucked over. But this season, the locals made out, man. They... <laughs> they I, I didn't make out. Yeah. <laughs> literally <laughs> and yeah, figuratively. You know, the way the way Lucia played Albie and so beautifully, like a fucking orchid, like just. He practically said, please do it. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. And especially about after fish in a barrel. Wow. Well, especially I think after Albie's dad called him out and he's like, you are an easy mark. And he's like, no, I'm not. Are you My name's sure Albie. Me? It's not Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I no shit. him to say that, you know? <laughs> so it almost seemed like because his dad was like, you're being an idiot. It, in a way, maybe Albie felt like he had to double down. And in doing so, was very, very blind to Lucia playing him. But she did a really good job, too, because the Lucia character, uh, when we first when we first meet the girls... In the very first episode, you know, they're running down to the dock to try and get a look at who Lucia's date for the week is going to be. And even the way Lucia is presented to us for the first kind of half of the season, you know, very 
revealing clothing, very, you know, skimpy, form fitting, a lot of makeup. But then it's like she's is she starts playing Albie. So she leans into this. She starts being more covered up. Right. Like I know dresses have her dresses have sleeves and a collar or something. And she wears less makeup. And at the same time, we see Mia kind of not doing a complete flip, but her clothes get a little bit more revealing. She gets she wears a bit more makeup. But I think that can also be argued that she is now in, quote, show business. And so there's a bit yeah. of showman, showmanship Maybe. to that. Well, but Lucia said, I've created a monster. Yes. and But I think I think in that sense, it was just. Mia's desires and her wants and not stopping and not let and doing whatever she needed to do like Daphne uh, to get what she wants to not feel like a victim to come she out did really well she did both the girls did really well I loved that Lucia used cl- clearly a friend to pose as a pimp to uh, yeah, that really hammer so that home to Albie and his whole family that she is in danger but I do wonder if at one point Lucia was in danger because she says something to Mia. And I think it was just the two of them that they were going to be in trouble. They were going to face punishment because this is right after Dominic cancels and cancels the rest of the week because he wants to try and be better. Um, So I'll give him props that he actually did that. But then, Hmm. um, but it's never really referenced again. And then we kind of, and then when the way we leave the girls at the end of the season, very free to do what they want, you know, they're enjoying life. They've made plenty of money now and they're just skipping down the streets of, of Sicily. So there's no immediate threat. Right. And and of course at this point Mm -hmm. there wouldn't be since Lucia did get all the money that she was owed. Yeah. But in that moment, because I think that was after, I I can't remember, but. Well, I think that I just played that off as, okay, they're barely making it. They probably like need, you know, rent money, pay their bills, whatever. And they they weren't going to be able to make rent for the month now because this got canceled. Mm-hmm. And I just left it at that. I didn't really like, even think of the whole pimp thing until she started playing that and i'm just like you are playing that that is not real (laughs) Mm -hmm. because lucia says has a line about you know after she kind of meets albie and everything and she says oh he's really sweet he's a nice guy Mm. and then something about like we we won't be punished now and you can see the wheels turning and then a couple scenes later we meet the quote pimp yeah so but yeah, I, so yeah, the first time I was watching it, I didn't really, I, I didn't think their storyline was going to end the way that it did or be as interesting as it ended up being. Cause especially after Mia almost accidentally kills Giuseppe, I was like, wait, what the fuck is happening here? What are these girls doing? Holy shit. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, the way that their kind of relationship, at least Mia's relationship with Valentina uh, the the host or whatever of the, the hotel. Yeah, she's the I, manager. Manager, yeah. I really, I really liked that and the fact, and I loved Valentina. I and, loved her so much. And I like that this season wasn't centered on Valentina, on the manager of the hotel, 
yeah and they focused more on the guests and more you know and that we had lucia and mia but, but hmm. valentina still playing that role i loved her and her pantsuits her gruff exterior her the way she treated the men folk um yeah. and then the sweetness that we saw when talking to uh the one other female hostess of the hotel who was in who was engaged to Rocco yeah which I can't like not remember that name because I'm like Rocco's modern life exactly right (laughs) and then Rocky Rococo (laughs) and so I really I liked Valentina I liked that she still had a storyline and we saw a little bit so so I'm gonna give you some more thoughts like Mm. here maybe Mm. but Valentina and Lucia and Mia were two ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Valentina was sexual repression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as sex work is often equated to sexual liberation. Mm-hmm. So we had that dynamic going on too. And that is definitely social commentary. And I loved it because, like, Valentina realized that not only was she being too harsh on them, but she was being way too harsh on herself. Yes. And she's denied herself like a, a whole aspect of life that she clearly wants and ended up enjoying mm-hmm. for so long. Like, I really hope that, you know, she takes them up on their offer oh and God. like goes out to the gay bar or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, I would love a little post credit of those three <laughs> dancing at a gay bar or something and Valentina just really letting loose and having a good time and enjoying life. I will hand it to Lucia or um to Valentina for at least having lunch off site or at least outside yeah. and feeding a little alley cat kitty. That was really, really sweet. And cute. I know. Like and I already loved her and I was like, oh, you're a cat person. Wait, that's a sim. Oh my God, that's symbolism. i also love her uh (laughs) and this could be a bit of you know kind of a a lost in translation kind of thing but even when she first greets uh bert you know the degrasso family and she's like i can't believe you made it you're so old (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i i loved her so much i I really did and i was so happy for her by the end and i so i was really glad to see that in this season in a way the locals won because in season one they did not i how fucking pissed off are we (laughs) i think we were pretty mad about that one (laughs) yeah i recall being upset about a lot of things (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, but Valentino is my favorite of the locals and I just yeah you know I always get nervous when I have such a clear favorite like, oh something bad's gonna happen to them thanks Game of Thrones so, right no shit <laughs> uh, on that point just a little aside like with we're watching Babylon 5 for the first time and like the characters get so close to death so often but like None of the main ones die. They just get really close. Mm-hmm. And someone else were watching it was like, can't one of them die? And we're all like, this is like 20, 30 years before Game of Thrones. Like, mm-hmm. that was revolutionary TV for a reason. Yep. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like I feel like something like The White Lotus is as well. I think satire really fell out of favor for a long time because 
people take things too literally. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that with other shows that are out there too that are in the satire genre too, like The Boys. You got mm-hmm. a whole t- fan base of the show that totally misses the point, like, whoosh. And I'm wondering if the there's similar dynamics to fan base or otherwise for the white lotus but i love that satire is getting its day right now it's it's great oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) all right well let's see what else have we got my last talking point that i have and this is we're getting towards the end of the season and it's simply tanya shit the suitcase so somebody had to <laughs> somebody had to would you think about bringing tanya back the marvelous jennifer Coolidge, um to reprise the role and then how everything fell out for her <laughs> i was super happy that they did that, that. funny um, yeah <laughs> uh i was actually focused on answering your question <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm sorry <laughs> Okay, okay. No, okay, I was okay. seriously happy to see her back. And Aaron watched the first few episodes with me before he went on a trip. And, like, he was like, aw, man, not her. She's just so awkward. I'm like, I know. I love her so much. It's like, if, if cringe was defined in the dictionary by a picture of a person, it'd be Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Oh, my God. She's cuckoo. I love it. I love her so much. Like, I really do. She would be really annoying to hang out with, you know, but like, just just as a spectator, I'm like, damn, this is great TV. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, she brings her assistant with her, which at first seemed like, okay, husband's annoyed because, uh, what kind of a romantic trip is this? Mm -hmm. But it turned out to be, so much more than that and i didn't know what to think of portia at first either other than oh she's kind of adorable and yeah um probably probably the most naive person on the show this season yeah yeah Um, yeah definitely definitely and i felt so sorry for her between you know being like shunted away by tanya for the sake of greg and then you know with albie's laser focus interest on in her and the, just all that grossness we've already touched on mm-hmm. ew <laughs> <laughs> but like you know she surprised me in the fact that she like completely figured out what was going on she came to her senses she tried to help she was genuinely worried despite how shitty tanya kind of treats her sometimes oh yeah and greg definitely treated her and albie was kind of treating her like she still tried to help mm-hmm. but then her, but then she surprised me again when her and albie had that interaction at the airport when all was said and done and she's like can i get your number or do you want my number or whatever she said like i'm like mm-hmm. oh you idiot you were right there on the precipice of having a better life and what did you do mm-hmm yeah, uh, but yeah. So well, he's like, a good guy. I had, <laughs> <laughs> I had thoughts just on her alone, and like some of her interactions with the nephew. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, Jack. Like they I think yeah, 
their yeah. conversations were interesting too. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. So like that added a whole nother layer of fun to everything that was going on with Tanya. And okay, were you surprised by how things ended with Tanya? Yes and no and yes, because I encountered a small spoiler which suggested the ending. Yeah, okay. I I avoided spoilers. I tried really hard, but I went looking for a gif and I stumbled upon Oops. one and I was like, that's always the danger of trying to find gifs and images of what I'm recording on is I usually wait till I've I'm done, I've watched it obviously, so I don't run into spoilers, but I was really excited about starting it. <laughs> so I was looking for a GIF and, and I ran into a headline and I was like, mm. it wasn't uh, a straight spoiler, but it was enough. So I wasn't completely surprised, but I was still entertained as fuck by it. And yeah, I think I still yeah. very much sat there in kind of my, oh my God, what's happening? It's happening. Oh my God. <laughs> See, now I, I wasn't expecting some of the aspects of like how it all played out, like the whole gallivanting around with the gays as she mm-hmm. she called them i um, love that when that, she goes to the cat do you know these gays do you know these gays <laughs> yeah yeah but like that whole aspect of it was oh i wasn't expecting this okay but like the interactions between her and greg i was like she's the body in the water he's gonna fucking shoot her because he just can't take it anymore mm-hmm. and that was still kind of true like he he still was involved just not in the way that i thought right yeah and i and i also aside from running into the the headline uh i was also i was also very suspicious of the gays and don't get me wrong i really wanted I really wanted Tanya to have her gay entourage and to be lifted up and loved and supported and hailed and everything. But, and so on one hand, I was really happy for her. She's having this kind of uh, nice moment. Portia's enjoying it as well, hanging out with, with Jack, who is, uh, you know, the better eye candy, I guess, compared to Albie. And this whole time, oh, Portia's for sure. like... Portia's For like, sure. I just want an adventure. I just want to have fun. I don't want to be stuck in a room and scrolling through my phone all the fucking time. And so this was her, what Portia thought was going to be her opportunity to have this really great whirlwind adventure, holiday romance kind of thing. And she still gets an adventure. Hey, there is something to be said for foreign fling. <laughs> Been there, done that. Anyway. Slut? Uh... No. <laughs> no slut. <laughs> slut praising. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, so I was happy that Tanya was kind of having this moment of being praised and hailed, but I was so suspicious of the gays from minute one, and I hated that I was suspicious well, of the, the gays. the way they were looking at her from across the bar was predatory. So yeah, well, and it was, I was very like, obvious that they were trying to get her attention, and you know... It, I, I was like, what's their deal? And then the opera they took her to, mm-hmm. the end of that was like major foreshadowing. And, like, Quentin's stories, they were, like, little breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. the whole time. Mm -hmm. So they were laying it out. I just wasn't expecting them to be involved was the thing. But, like, I loved in the beginning when we first met Daphne and Cam that she was, like, the red herring piece. 
like I called it for what it was immediately when she was like, oh yeah, I like watching those shows and seeing how I would murder someone and mm-hmm. how to get away with it. I'm just yep. like, yeah, you're making it too obvious. It ain't you. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I was dismissive of that, but you know, retroactively, I was like, oh yeah, I see what they were trying to do there. It's a little mis- misdirection, but not good enough. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but they ended up being way more interesting for their own reasons as we've touched on. But yeah, Quentin was... Okay, this is the other. Did something happen between them? His stories kind of made it ambiguous. But, like, do you think him and Greg hooked up back in the day? I think so. And a theory that I read was that, because um, in season one, when we meet Greg and he talks about his BLM, <laughs> but not Black Lives Matter work that he does, it's more, was it like animal rescue or something? Um, oh yeah I totally forgot about that same here so when I was reading I think it's probably someone's tweet about the theory that Quentin and Greg like Greg is back with Quentin or whatever they're having the affair and working together they made the point of what Greg said he did as work um, in season one to Quentin's story about falling in love with like a ranch hand there to take care of the animals or whatever so i thought that was yeah. a very i thought very plausible and i was like yeah sure i like it we'll, we'll go with that because i do believe greg was behind all of it because of the talk about the prenup and the phone calls and get. yep the secret phone like, calls yeah he said i love you too in the secret phone calls mm-hmm. so i'm like oh he's cheating on her and of or course, whatever. yeah, and of course we're left to think that it's with a woman, right? Because he right, married cause... a woman, and there's been no other hint of bisexuality from him. So even Quentin's first story about him said that he was straight. Yeah. So you know, that's. Uh, but I feel like Tanya was very slowly, very luxuriously, like a pig being prepared for slaughter. Mm-hmm. And yes, it also made me think of Wicker Man a bit because like no. <laughs> they were so nice to their sacrificial victim yeah that's a good gave story. them the best experience possible until that moment that's a really good uh hadn't thought of that um you know you talked about some of the foreshadowing some of the breadcrumbs and upon my rewatch we really see that especially like right away in the first episode and tanya clearly needs help getting off the boat which you don't really think anything of because you're like you're in like three inch heels of course you're gonna need help getting off the boat why did she try to jump off the boat in those things like at least take them off lady no shit oh my god no the talk about cringe like just screaming at the tv (laughs) take him off go down the ladder get in the water swim to the boat or stay on the boat with all the people you just murdered (laughs) In self-defense, but nonetheless, you murdered them. Exactly. They're not going to get you now. (laughs) Okay, but is it really self-defense? Because at this point, it's just all a theory on her end. She still has no proof. She is just... Oh, come on. She literally picked up a bag of board game clues. (laughs) 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 Who done it? (laughs) Um, Okay, but back to the kind of foreshadowing. So, you know, she, she wants... She wants a fortune teller and she calls the woman a gypsy and Portia's oh. like, you can't, I don't, I don't think you can say that anymore. So she repeats her sentence, but then she mouths the word. <laughs> just the little things. Yeah. But then that lady freaked the hell out and she just got out of there. So this so is, I was like, Ooh. 
So according to IMDb, the fortune teller says, uh, and then it's written out in Italian, which I'm not even going to attempt, uh, which translates into madness will drive you to suicide. So if you speak Uh, Italian, you picked up on that. She did kind of, yeah, kind of, but like accidentally. Her madness drove her to her death, essentially, right? But I think at this point when she's freaking out, yes, you're right. It's still a theory, but it's a hell of a theory. There's enough proof in my mind because she saw the photo of Greg. She's heard the stories from Quentin. Greg's been just got awful to her. And I know she's annoying, but come on. And he also made sure she had a perfect day and then completely disappears. And then Quentin's trying to make sure she has a perfect day. Plus Portia lays out all these clues for her and Jack's deliberately keeping Portia away. Mm -hmm. And then the bag of clue items, like, and like what the way Quentin dresses, I'm like, like, Quentin's Mr. White. And yes, then the the little uh, paramour, as he put it. Uh Uh-huh. You got like I'm like sorry they're being way too nice. That's why they like, were sus from minute one. Right, but I know that's why it made me think of Wicker Man. Like, I mean, it's a good point. It's a good analogy. You know, you feel great, but there's that little nagging feeling underneath that something isn't right about this. What's gonna happen to me? And then you know she comes to that realization. She's like, oh shit. Plus the little like talks about the prenup yep. and everything. And, you know, it's, it's fine. Okay, so I, I get what you're saying in that, yes, she obviously picked up on all of that, but her reaction to that was not of, a quote, sane mind. Well, right? no, she's panicking. She's and panicking. she's also herself. And, <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so, in a way, <laughs> I don't know. All right. Here's, no, I keep saying this, but this, this is my biggest, what the fuck? question Mm -hmm. about Tanya how do you manage to fatally shoot everyone (laughs) on that boat in three inch heels while you're panicking and crying your eyes out and your eyes are like squinted shut plus covered in chunks of mascara how did you do that oh my god nobody knows and that is the beauty of that entire sequence and she's the, so clumsy how did she not like trip and shoot herself and i mean no it comes to fruition later anyway but like how do you go from like badass assassin who's emotionally erect to i'm gonna whoopsie off the boat and also, break my own neck can we take a moment to appreciate jennifer coolidge acting and the crying that tanya <laughs> that she portrays tanya <laughs> and then like oh, stops and then <laughs> And the fact that she's willing to do that so loudly in the middle of a restaurant, it's just like, oh, man. I'm so glad she won an award for this role. It's so fucking well-deserved. I am so happy that she had these roles. And honestly, I'm glad that they killed her off this season. Because if they didn't, there'd be that expectation of her coming back for season three. And then we're turning this into the Tanya show. And that's not what we want to do. Do you think Greg or whatever his name actually is is going to come back for season three and get his? Because I kind of want that to happen and I kind of don't. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know where. 
yeah i don't know where i'm gonna land on that one but i really want to know like if he doesn't come back into the season or whatever can it be like something that flashes across the tv like the news oh sure that'd be fine i'd be good with that that would be cool there's only there's not a whole lot of references to the first season other than you know the white lotus is a chain and tanya always enjoys her stays there uh greg talks about how she literally saved his life and got him all that uh medical help and everything and then tanya references i think brenda was the character's name that she kind of fucked over in season one yeah Um, she had some regrets there yeah other than that, there was really no other mentions of anything really in season one. So I feel like to do what you said would work perfectly in a third season where we get little nods, I guess, to this current, you know, to still kind of tie them all together and tie, you know, kind of bring the guests and tie up some of these storyline, quote, loose ends. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if Greg should come back in any other capacity than a new scrolly bar thing. <laughs> right. I maybe hate Portia him so much right now though. Oh yeah. Like she saved your life. I know she's annoying as shit, but you don't repay that by murdering her, her for her money. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just uh awful. I hate him. Oh yeah, I do too. I mean, Albie should get a room together. <laughs> But I love I love the actor. I'm not super thrilled that we saw his butt, but in the context of which we saw it, and she shoves him off of her during like mid sex. Yeah, that was a funny moment. That was hilarious, but also kind of gross. Uh- <laughs> it wasn't the worst butt. It wasn't the worst butt. No, it wasn't. That is that is correct. So, but then yeah, so we got so Tanya shits the suitcase. She dies. One of the guys got away, swims away, but then also the captain too, right? Like he lived. Or do we assume they never that showed the captain? They again. never showed the captain again. Um, and the one, the one of the survivors that jumped off the boat and swam away, are we to assume that he died? Like he didn't make it to shore, or that he does? Like, I'm not sure. Actually, what's kind of going to happen with all of that. So again. But that could I feel all like, work as a scrolly new scrolly bar. Right, because they they questions. have to be investigating it, yeah. right? They have to be. And I feel like if you left the investigation unresolved, that'd be kind of weird. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like this is a linear show necessarily either. That's, yeah, true. But I, I love that this show has become a thing. And I don't know how long gonna, it's going to last for, but... I don't have a problem with it lasting as many seasons as they can figure out. If it if stays this quality, Absolutely. I'm going to be right there for it. Oh, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. This is, I love this show. And, you know, when we did season one, that was a listener suggestion. And I'm so thankful because I don't know that I would have watched this show otherwise. I mean, right. the season one cast was very appealing. A lot of, you know, some recognizable names and Mm -hmm. yeah if it hadn't been for the podcast i i don't know i i probably would have missed out on phenomenal television truly right so thank you stephanie thank you (laughs) stephanie so um 
Yeah, let's see. With, okay, so I think I'm done with Tanya. Portia, yeah, I just, I felt really bad for her. Originally, I did kind of want her and Albie to to couple up. Um, So when that didn't happen. When that didn't happen. Well, and then as the show progresses and you kind of get like, okay, you're just third generation trash, Albie, that's fine. Uh, you don't deserve Portia. So then by the end of the season and by the end of the second rewatch, I was so fucking mad. <laughs> it's not like Portia's a perfect person either. No, but, but when I you feel... said third generation trash, I was like, trash, 3.0. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, but I'm like... not quite done with Tanya yet, though. Oh, I'm sorry. I definitely agree with you there. But okay, watching Mike White, the series creator's commentary at the end of the season was so worth it because he's like, it was just so right to give her such a derpy death. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, it was derpy. It was just, very, very derpy. Oh, it was. And I think the derpiness of it, despite knowing everything we know and love about Tanya, caught me by surprise because I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That's how? <laughs> After all that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? Um, yeah, it it was it's really it was really something to watch the first and and second time even knowing that it's happening cuz you're just kind of like no, no. Are they Come really on. are this they time no. let it be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this time let her please take her fucking shoes off. <laughs> or maybe like jump off the boat where she saw the one guy who got away jump off and like swim a bit or mm-hmm. even just float. Mm-hmm. You know, all dramatically like she probably would do. I don't know. <laughs> but again, with the foreshadowing, right before she derps off the boat, she derped her <laughs> phone off the boat, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is like, you can't get more obvious than her derping her phone off the boat to her derpy death. <laughs> I loved when she was like running around in a mad panic before she decided to like shoot everyone. <laughs> Like, um, the gays are all just sitting at the table, like, whatever. Well, and it's like, she tries to walk away casually, and then she does that run once she clears uh, the corner, but forgetting that windows exist. And so we see her, like, shuffling across the boat. And she's like, oh, it's a big boat. And the physical comedy she has is just amazing Jennifer Coolidge is so underappreciated I love it I agree Um, I'm glad that she's that a lot more people are finally realizing and appreciating uh, really what she brings to comedy because she's a beautiful woman and I think there's still kind of a stigma that beautiful people can't be funny and here she is absolutely hysterical well, they also touched on the fat shaming aspect of it, too. Like, Greg was commenting yes, on her weight yep. a lot. And people do that in real life for the actress. And I'm like, get over yourself. She's amazing. Exactly. Cares. Yeah. She's beautiful. Yeah. I love her to pieces. Congratulations on the win, Jennifer. We share she the same name. It. Absolutely. And cannot wait to see what derpy thing. <laughs> no. What amazing thing you're going to do next absolutely love it i want her to do like a really super serious role just for the sake of like you know giving everyone whiplash (laughs) i I don't think i've ever seen her do anything serious there's always right she's no one would expect it in comedies and done yeah yeah i would expect it and i think that would be great all right let's see i think 
that's gonna about do it for me and my because we've touched on just damn near everything oh one other thing i don't remember if i said it before but right away uh, at the beginning of the series or the beginning of the season uh lucia and nia go down to wait for the see the boat arrived and one of them says men are disappointing men are so disappointing and that is a very constant theme i think throughout the rest of the the season because so many Agreed. times where i'm like albie you were disappointing ben you were disappointing cam you were on par with what i thought you were going to be <laughs> Which is a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a disappointment. Fair enough. Yeah, so. no, you're right. You're right. Um, and I think Marsha learned that the hard way, too. Yes. I, I think that was, like, her journey. Okay, what uh, about Jack, the nephew? What did you think of right. him? Quentin was this... the uncle. Yes. And... So we, we didn't talk about the ass-eating moment. Was, yes. This season, it was an ass-fucking moment. Yes. Uh, and, you know... It was between Quentin and Jack while Jack is seeing Portia. And and I'm just, and of course, of all people to stumble on it, our beloved Tanya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard a noise. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, like, okay, if they were really uncle and nephew, I mean, I've been desensitized by Game of Thrones quite a bit, but still my brain was like, ew, no, no, ew. <laughs> And maybe that touches on the ageist part of of what they, you know, portrayed this season too, because there's definitely an age gap there. And I'm like, ew. But more I'm like, ew, because not because of the age gap, or not because it's two guys or anything, not even because the potential uncle nephew or thing like that. I'm like, dude, you are in a relationship with someone right now. Like, are you are you using protection? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you gonna go from this to her? Ew. <laughs> Oh, like ah. that, that was my ew and then i'm like oh yeah if they really are uncle and nephew i guess ew too and then i'm like <laughs> i loved how that's secondary to you <laughs> it was because the first thing i was like oh he's gonna go straight back to Portia. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, but then i'm like they're obviously not really uncle and nephew like that's a total sham like he's what the enforcer or something but mm-hmm. I just want to touch on his more vulnerable moments were really interesting in terms of like how low do you have to get to to get to being okay with this for one um but then also the conversation they had like when they were uh she was being Portia was being kidnapped and not really aware of it the conversation they have when they're sitting on the bench and he's like the world is great and he lists off all the reasons. She's like, the world is shit. She lists off lists off all the reasons. I'm like, how how this conversation is really disturbing to me because how how is it that I agree with both of them? Like, well, how they is both that had possible? Fair points. They both had like, very fair points. Yeah, um, and you know, I didn't really expect such a controversial and somewhat deep perspective to come out of that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, you know, originally I didn't think too much of Jack. I didn't really think too much of that Jack quite possibly wasn't Quentin's nephew. I just, I didn't give it a lot of thought, right? Right. But Until then, you were forced to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, rewatching it and seeing all these little, again, breadcrumbs, right? Like, 
Portia's down by the pool. She's waiting for Albie. So this beefy, accented, good-looking dude comes in to go for a swim. And it's so cold and his nipples and da-da-da. And, you know, she kind of can't stop watching him. And then the fact that she leaves with Albie, or she leaves, and Albie goes with her. They don't leave, like, together together. Right. Um, and then it that scene ends with a shot of, of Jack. And you're just kind of like, huh, so here we go. Here's the really... Now, painfully obvious, now that I know how it all plays out. Because, I again, I wasn't paying attention. I didn't really think hiding her hair of him. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. And so as that all kind of plays out, I was like, oh, so this is going to be Portia's adventure, her chance to get away, whirlwind, holiday romance. And that's really what it was at first. Yeah. And then... And then the romance wore off and she like takes off the rose colored glasses and everything starts getting weird or, you know, not making sense. And, you know, at first she thinks it's fun that they ran away from the cops because he didn't have a dollar to pay for their their food. She's Oh, it's just so, so fun. And, you know, a a taste of life and, and, and danger and everything. And then it's almost like some things Tanya said, like, it's only a dollar. He can't afford that. Kind of starts sinking in. The romance starts to fade. And yeah, he's that he's just kind of like a degenerate. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that the clincher for that was he has no social media presence. Yes. Like Instagram, the way she pulls away when she's like, you're not even on Instagram. (laughs) That was super funny. It was so funny. It really was. But like, did you get the impression that Quentin's like some sort of lecherous, diabolical, Oliver Twist type person, you know, like profiting off of orphans or whatever, like There's street something. urchins, street urchins, you know, like Quentin found me and, and saved you know. me. And, and these people are dangerous. And like now all I have these, the chance to help him. And, and all these, all these things that Jack says at the end of his time with Portia, after she kind of calls him out and she's like, oh yeah, you, you fuck your uncle. He seemed very upset by that, very like hurt, offended, embarrassed, kind of all of those things. And then just decides that he's going to take her to the airport. He does kind of save her. He's like, don't go back to the hotel. You don't want to fuck with these people. They are dangerous. All of well, he didn't stuff. know they were dead. Well, he I think he knew the plan, though. His plan was to right. his, his his job, quote, as he said, and, and Portia questioned was keep Portia away. Um, nobody yeah. planned for Portia. And I think that's why Greg was pissed off that Tanya brought her because this was supposed to be the way that he got rid of Tanya. And now there's a witness. Yeah. And we have to do away with that witness. So I feel like maybe in a way you're right, because now all of a sudden all I can think about is like uh, uh, Sherlock and his homeless. Oh, what does he call it? But that he uses utilizes homeless people to keep an eye on things for him and report to him and help him fake his death and all of that stuff. So maybe in a way that's what Jack is to Quentin and maybe Quentin does collect in a sense, collect these quote broken people. Maybe he's just as attracted to broken people as Albie is for in a way reasons. for different yeah. reasons to do his evil bidding, um, his evil gay bidding. <laughs> Because, you know, you got to admit, he picked a cute one. And it sounds like he does that on the regular, so. Mm-hmm. And he just seems to have these 
people at his disposal, right? Like the paramour for for Tanya. Like, oh, yeah. we found the only straight hunky dude, and it's like who just We're also so happens who just also happens to be attached to quote mafias, yeah. unsavory types. How much cocaine did they do, by the way? I don't know, but that was, <laughs> that was a lot. But yeah, a lot of drugs. The, the drugs, the drug and scenes are always, you know, those are always fun to watch. Well, especially with Tanya. Oh, man. She did a lot. She did a lot. She didn't hold back. It's like she's right back in it. You know, she's yep. like, oh, it's been years or something. So just like riding a bike. I, like, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I still haven't figured it out. A white Again. powdered bike. <laughs> <laughs> it's powder coated <laughs> awesome I love it alright well let's see let's go on to kind of the last bit so season 3 has already been renewed now when we were when we did season 1 and we were talking about that it was supposed to be a limited series yada yada not really sure what to expect from season 2 um I, I just want to echo that, that I, st I still don't know what the fuck we're going to get for a season three, but I am excited. Is there anything, any theories or anything you would like to see or themes? I, I heard season? a rumor that like, it was going to be maybe focused on death itself more and it's something to do like with some kind of Asian mythology. Mm. Not sure what though, or what the location would then be. Um... But and I don't know how legitimate that even is. So, uh, but I'm here for it, and I love the way that mythology, the like the local mythology and lore, has been like stitched into the whole thing. And it's just white people appropriating themselves all over it. <laughs> it I fucking love this show. I love just I love everything about it. I I don't know what to expect for the third season. I am looking forward to it. It apparently episode one of season three is supposedly supposed to air sometime this year. Yeah. So maybe we'll get a fall premiere. Um, that would be amazing. That would be fucking great. Not that we need yeah, any more on our, one. well, it's like, not like we need any more on our fucking record to-do list because i mean i keep adding to it anyway like season three for only murders in the building is supposed to come out this year too and i'm oh just my like god oh. you see the do you see the little video that selena gomez posted so no she's sitting there oh my god okay so first of all i'm obsessed with selena gomez i think she's absolutely adorable and this is as all related to only murders in the building um, but yeah, she posted a little video. She's sitting on the couch and she's there with Steve and Marty. And then they show Paul Rudd. And then from behind the couch pops up Meryl Streep to show that she's joining the cast this season. Laura's eyes got super big. Like she saw yeah! a little plate of cheese. But, oh, it's super cute. And of course, yeah, Paul Rudd. Love. I love my other husband. My, my celebrity husband, Paul Rudd. He's doing, I'm so proud of him. He's doing such great work. <laughs> You can have that. I'll take Ben Barnes. Oh, well, Ben Barnes isn't, he isn't husband material. If we were doing a fuck, Mary kill here, <laughs> he'd be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this seems like a great time to start in on our Midwest goodbye. So any stray bubbles, Laura, <laughs> that may 
may or may not be related to fucking Ben Barnes. I don't care. <laughs> Shadow and Bones. <laughs> I'm kind of blushing. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. oh my god. It's suddenly very warm in this room and I don't need a hoodie anymore. <laughs> Lordy. All right. What? Stray Bubbles. Shoot. <laughs> Shadow and Bone, me too. Gotta watch that. Gotta do podcast about it. Yep. <laughs> I promise it's not just gonna be about Ben Barnes. It'll be mostly about Ben Barnes, though. Not entirely. It's magic. Not on purpose. Also, there's a badass cripple in the show. That's right. I'm I'm looking forward to season two. I think season oh, two yeah. drops on my birthday, March 16th. So no one talked to me that day. I mean, that's the general rule, but for sure. Right. I'm right. Gonna be busy. I'll tell you happy birthday <laughs> the next day. I'm going to be busy. <laughs> <laughs> and we're right back. At the <laughs> and, uh, I haven't stopped blushing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Um, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I need a minute. I need a minute. You're going to need more than a minute. Let's be real. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So, on to the next part of the Midwest Goodbye. The Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage, White Lotus Season 2 Edition. So, we will get to Nicolas Cage in six steps or less using the cast of Season 2. Or, I guess, okay. I, I didn't make that stipulation, so... Just using White Lotus. So, Laura, how'd you do? I managed it. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yay! So proud of you. So, I went with creator rather than cast. Ah. I like that you My go the non-cast route. You typically do. Yeah. I love that. Mike White, creator, uh, was also um, involved as in, like, producer, writer for School of Rock mm -hmm. with Jack Black. And... An announcement came out that Jack Black and Nicolas Cage and Steve Carell are all going to be in a movie together soon called Frank or Francis. Cool. I uh, I hadn't heard that. But yes. now I'm excited. I got anything, one. Anything with Jack Black, anything with Nicolas Cage, and of course now anything with Mike White behind the scenes producing, writing, directing, fucking trifecta sign me up i'm all in all right so for me i went ahead and well i did one and i was like i'm only gonna do one i'm i gotta stick to only doing one yeah and okay <laughs> i got it in one step so i was like all right i'm gonna do another one and i got that one in one step so to honor huh. the great lustrous jennifer coolidge um i started with her and she was in bad lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans with Nicolas Cage. So then I was like, all right, let's go with, we'll use Dominic, Michael Imperioli. Um, he was in Primal with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> well, that was, that was easy for you. Done and I done. made it harder for myself. That's <laughs> what you get for not doing cast members. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like going the creator route. I do too. It's definitely, it's, I feel like maybe less common not quite as expected most people i think do use actors but not all the time obviously but i think it's 
makes it interesting, right? Because then we drop names that, you know, creator names, writer names, stuff like that. Maybe music composers that maybe don't always get their due. But either way, on to the next um, Midwest goodbye part, whatever thing. thing. I fucked that up. It doesn't matter. So what's been streaming in your bubble, Laura? Oh, I think I mentioned only murders in the building. Mm-hmm. I finally got around to watching that, and I'm so happy I did. I'm I really so happy enjoyed you it did too. I can't wait. Um, and I love that Selena Gomez is a uh, executive producer of the show and everything. Like, yeah, um, she's she's cool. <laughs> she's very cool. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, huh? All right, neat. I have a new appreciation for you. I completely agree. I, I mean, I didn't have any, I just, I didn't really, I didn't have any opinion of her, right? Like, well, I, I just, listened to her music, so I had, I knew that. See, and I haven't listened to her music, um, none of her, you know, like Disney shows that she was oh, on. Oh, I refuse to watch those. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't have an opinion, good or bad, about her. She's just, she existed. I didn't have any qualms with her. And then I see her in the series and I'm just utterly smitten. I think she's adorable. And I, I just, I enjoy her. She's so cute. I love how snarky her character was. Oh, I loved it. I think that's a big draw for me too. I, surprise, I'm drawn to snarky characters. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that for sure. Um, And then Eric convinced me to watch Kaleidoscope. Oh, I still, yes, I need to watch that. So I got the episodes in a different order than he did. That's the whole mechanic of the show. You get them in a random order and you have to figure out what's missing. You know, Ah. if you want to try and figure it all out before the end. Um, Oh, that's fun. At first, I was really enjoying it because I love heist stuff. And it was, it was a very interestingly planned heist. I will give that. But I think I must have gotten an order of episodes that kind of took some of the joy out of it for me. Hmm. Okay. Which which was sad. Like the big twist, I saw that a mile away. Yeah, but and you like I wonder if twist. that's no, I don't. Unusual suspects or the usual suspects, excuse me. Uh, like that that I, I was too personally invested in that to see it clearly. It's like, yeah, but that's, <gasps> yes, but that's your that I swear that's your that's ever your only example of not. Of not seeing the twist happen is That's other than true. that, it's like everything else that you've watched or we've talked about either for the pod or not. When we get to the big reveal, the twist, you're like, yeah, I saw it coming. And I'm just like, you suck. No, <laughs> because sometimes I'm like, that's you what my mom said about CSI. She wouldn't let me watch it with her anymore. And then when she got the board game, she's like, you won't be able to figure this out so easily. It's not like they're laying out the story for you. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's doing in the board game. So, <laughs> so it, yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like you ever since uh, the usual, because like a lot of times I'm emotionally invested in whatever I'm watching. So I don't always see the big twist or the big reveal coming. Uh, sometimes I'm just not paying attention and sometimes I fall asleep. These like things happen. These things happen. But um yeah, I've I've heard good things about Kaleidoscope, so I still want to. I still recommend to... watching it. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah. Silence. <laughs> I recommend it. 
it's still a good well it's still a good heist and okay the thing that i loved about it the most is the most trivial stupid thing ever but so i have watched the movie a knight's tale with heath ledger probably more times than i should admit but god damn it i love chaucer so much anyway uh, <laughs> i'm a nerd um but one of the people from that movie is in kaleidoscope and they have a line in kaleidoscope that paid homage to that movie of Aww. all the things they've done in their career they had a line that directly referenced that movie and i was like yeah, i get that joke and aaron's like what what's so funny about that oh <laughs> so, that's so sweet yeah. <laughs> that's awesome uh, let's see, what have we been watching? Well, Bad Batch started, so Hubby and I sat and watched the first three episodes that were out. So we've got an episode to uh, sit down and catch up on. How is it? I love that show. I don't care. Yeah. I like, I okay. love the Bad Batch. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I love, I just, I love Star Wars stories and series. We still have to watch Andor. We just... Not a lot of TV time watching for the two of us, but mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Other than that, oh, I just watched the menu the other night. <gasps> so did I. I forgot <gasps> about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Now, I didn't know a lot going into it. I've heard non-spoiler takes, you know, people that really enjoyed it. And then the classic, by the end of it, you're going to want a cheeseburger. And I'm like, by the end of a lot of things, I want a cheeseburger. That's not a big sell. But it's oh true, boy, though. did I, I want oh, a cheeseburger. Fries. Those fries, too. <laughs> gimme, gimme, gimme. Um, oh, but like, okay, wait, wait, wait. wait. I loved it. So, I loved it. I watched it because my brother said he was watching it and he told me I should watch it. And I did that thing that we talked about earlier where I just read part of the sentence and then accepted that that was it so i missed the it was like it's like a one two, maybe two sentence description of the movie that comes up when you when you go to turn it on and i missed a little bit at the end that said it was horror oh okay. so when all that started playing out boy oh boy was i surprised really uh oh, yeah because i i read the satire part and i'm like sold <laughs> i mean it's food and satire what's not to like right? right um but i gotta tell you even with the shock value of not realizing the genre of movie i was watching that is my kind of horror if you ever want to do horror shows or movies with me that's it i loved it and i know it's technically you know classified under the genre horror uh, horror genre, but I found it to be more satirical and dark comedy than horror. Oh, I God, definitely, yeah. definitely horror elements to it. Um, so when these kind of quote more horror components started popping up, I was like, yes, give me more. Like that's what I was hungry for. And a cheeseburger. Oh, I want that cheeseburger so bad. We should do a mini bubble on this actually. I know, uh, but mini bubbles are supposed to be under an hour, Laura, and our our uh, House of the Dragons was just over an hour. But that was but how of... much of that was gushing about Damon? A lot. That was a lot of time in horny jail, to be fair. So, anyways, yeah. we should definitely do uh, an episode on the menu, whether it ends up being a mini bubble or a full episode. Um, just one more thing to add to our ever growing list, because goddammit, we will do Sherlock this year. <laughs> sure, we will. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And I swear to God, I'm going to get you to watch those fucking CW crossovers. The oldest has started back in on The Flash, and he started in with crossover episodes, and I just, I love them to pieces. It's so delightful. There's so much We'll fun. do Sherlock. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, so the menu was great. Enjoyed it. Recommend it. And other than that, just some rewatches. Uh, started up uh, Classic Roseanne, and now the youngest is super into it, even though he keeps call it, calling it Rosina. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Um, on the menu, though, real quick, I think it makes me want to watch the show. I think it's called The Bear. Yeah. I've heard really great things. My friend Erin texted me a while ago, said that Timmy and I should watch it because uh, she thinks Timmy would like it. I think Timmy would like the menu as well as someone who has been in food in the food service industry. Uh, I think there's a lot that he could appreciate from the menu. But yeah, maybe we'll start the bear. Add it to the list. Add it to the list. Fucking hell. Anyways, while Laura and I continue to add shows and movies, we will eventually get to. Um, I just want to thank Laura. Thank you for being here and uh, joining me in talking about White Lotus. This was actually your pick. This was not originally on our ever-growing list. So you already done gone rogue on me. As <laughs> and, I I do. Am, and I appreciate you for that. So, um, But yeah. Thanks, Laura, for suggesting to do this one right away. Loved it. Love this show. Love you, Mike White. Love every, love the cast. Thank you, Bubblies, for listening today. And keep streaming. Bye. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming. He'd be fucked. <laughs> <laughs>